Hello and welcome back to The Rating Room, your weekly ticket to dissect the depths of cinema with yours truly, Jay, and the resident comedian and wrestling fan, Andy. This week we dive into a film that is as emotionally turbulent as its protagonist, The Whale. Charlie is a reclusive English professor battling obesity and grief. Confined to his apartment, Charlie teaches online while yearning to reconnect with his estranged daughter Ellie. As visitors like his concerned friend the nurse Liz and an avid missionary challenges isolation, Charlie grapples with self-sabotage, regret and a desperate hope for redemption before time runs out. It's a very poignant and, uh, well, quite a, quite a heavy um film summary you might say well, there's a pun in there somewhere but um let's start as we always do jay with um tell me have you seen this before and what do you remember about it i've not seen this one before andy so for the second week running um i've not seen the the film that we've chosen for the pod now i have had this on my watch list for a while but it's one of those films that i've just never got around to watching it um that's you know well until we've done it this week i I didn't know much about the plot. All I knew that he was um, obese, but I didn't know why he was. And I knew, because I read somewhere, that he had a um, like a turbulent relationship with his daughter. That's all I knew about it. So I came into this one with quite a, a blank slate uh, for the second week running, really. What about you, Andy? Have you seen this one? No, again, like you, this is another new one for me. So uh, two weeks in a row, we are venturing into virgin territory you might say for the podcast um and i think you probably knew a little bit more than i did actually i knew very very little of the actual plot the only thing i can really say that i knew was that it was starring a uh, a rather large brendan fraser so let's get into it now so as always i like to kick things off with the box office so the budget for the whale was three million dollars so it doesn't sound much and we can obviously see that in the rankings later on the box office was just shy of $41 million. And when you adjust it into today's money, um, the film pulled in $43 million. Now, the film did have a limited release and was shown in only six theatres in its opening weekend and therefore didn't register on the US weekend box office charts. However, by the following week, it did move up to 15th, but it was still only showing in six theatres. Now, by week three, the film was available in over 600 theatres now, and this meant the film was able to climb the charts, and it did peak at in the seventh spot. For the next five weeks, The Whale remained in the top ten of the US weekend box office charts, and before slowly kind of drifting away. Now, looking at some films that were out during the first few weeks of The Whale's release, this is, um, this is a who's who, or a, a what's what list, as, you, as it were. So other films... Out at this time included Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, The Menu, Black Adam, Avatar The Way of the Water, and Top Gun Maverick. Andy, I'm going to put you on a spot now. Have you seen any of those films? And if so, any favourites? I have seen Top Gun Maverick, and that's it. And I thought that was a really, really good film. I think I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but um, I don't actually go to the cinema much these days, which is probably not good for someone co-hosting a <laughs> podcast about movies and TV. Uh, in fact, the last time I went to the cinema was to see No Time to Die. It's been oh, well over two years since I've been to the cinema. 
Yeah, I I was talking about the cinema actually this morning with the missus because we were looking at going for like a um, date night in the film, you know, cinema. Now, you know, because of the writer strike and you know the pandemic, you just don't find many films now in the cinema. So a lot of the films you find are films that have been released before. So you know, uh, I mentioned in one of the previous ones that I watched, um, Terminator Two, Andy. You know, the the one where you, you stood me up. Uh, I don't want to, you know, labour the point. There. I'm sorry, Andy's Jay. I'm really sorry. <laughs> but Andy, I noticed that this weekend I'm going to go with my teenage son, and in uh, Inception is on at the local Odeon. So that's a, another older film. So um, I've never seen that one at the cinema, so I'm looking forward to that. But going back um, to my question, Andy, I, I've seen Top Gun, Maverick, and The Menu, and Avatar. But Black Adam, I obviously that's got The Rock in. So I wasn't too sure if you, you might have watched I, that one. I haven't. But it bombed, didn't it, from all accounts? Yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's not done well. Um, Avatar, I thought was it was pretty good. Have you seen the first one, Avatar? I have seen the first one. Yep, it was it was all right. Okay, yeah. not as yeah. special as people might think it is, but well, it was okay. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. So let's get back into the whale. Now the film ranked fifty fifth spot in the top twenty two movies of the US box office chart. So not too bad, really. But an interesting point here: the film scored the biggest opening weekend for an art house film in twenty twenty two engrossed over $330,000 in just six theatres. So a quick piece of math there, Andy, which is 55k per theatre. So that is not bad going, really. That's not, I was just trying to do some, some next-level maths on that. So it's for a weekend, $55,000. How much is a cinema ticket in America? $10? Something like that? I don't 10, know. What, $20? Don't let's, know. Say, let's say 10 We'll make it up. I have no idea. Let's say it's $10. So that's 5,500 people in a weekend. At a theatre, so how many how many showings would you need for that? There's what two three hundred seats in a not well. I'm thinking of a UK cinema. US might be different because they do everything bigger. There might be like twenty thousand seats in there. Who knows? <laughs> but let, have you been to a cinema in America? I I went to one in Disneyland, Florida, um, to see Shrek Four. I think it was, um, and that was on the way home. They have a thing where you can drop your cases off for the plane. So while we had time to kill, we went to the cinema, and uh, yeah, I think it was just normal. It was just a normal cinema. It didn't it didn't strike me as anything too special. But uh, but yeah, there's that's a lot of people coming through the doors for just six theatres, and it probably says straight away that there's probably a mistake. There was more money to be made there, wasn't there? Yeah, I, I don't know what the the marketing strategy was there, but um, it it wasn't a bad return on the three million budget. But yeah. They did stagger it there for the first two weeks. Yes, uh, very, very strange way of doing things. But yeah, like you said, it was it was a good return. So maybe it was successful in in the end. Um, now you mentioned that the film was released in twenty twenty two. The director was Darren Aronofsky, and the soundtrack composer was Rob Simonson, or Simonson. I'm going to go Simonson. Um, now. Getting into a little bit more detail, the film could have been very different, as at one point, James Corden was set to star in The Whale. 
um, we would not be talking about this film because I would refuse to watch it if that was the case. But um, another name considered to direct the film was George Clooney, but he ultimately declined. Uh, Darren Aronofsky did get the, the nod, and he's directed many films in his career, but he's probably known for directing bold and complex films that often depict human struggles. Some examples would be films like Requiem for a Dream, The Wrestler, and Black Swan, which uh, explore themes of addiction and faith and obsession. And he's also directed the Russell Crowe film Noah um, and Jennifer Lawrence in Mother. So he's uh, he's got quite the background, hasn't he, for, for something like this? Yeah, he's definitely got a good resume there. And... You know, carrying on talking about the director, he did state that he tried to make the film for over a decade, but he struggled to find the right actor to play Charlie. So luckily they didn't decide to move forward with James Corden, because I could just not see James Corden in this role. I find that really puzzling, Andy. But they did manage to find Brandon Fraser, and he's obviously the star of the Mon- uh, he's obviously the star of the Mummy trilogy as Rick O'Donnell, uh, Rick O'Connell. Fraser has featured in many films during the 90s and noughties. Now, I think my earliest memory of him was in The California Man, and he's also appeared in School Ties, Gods and Monsters, Crash. Bedazzled is another classic film. <laughs> I, I, I say classic loosely there, but it's, it is a fun film. And Journey to the Centre of the Earth, which I thought was a, a really... Um, good film as well as a film that myself and the kids enjoy and the sequel which is i think it's journey to the mysterious island is the a film where brandon fraser was replaced with the rock so another link to wrestling there andy yeah of course and you know they worked together on uh, the mummy returns and that's how that's how the rock came the scorpion king yeah so uh, you could say that uh, brandon fraser helped launch the rock's career in in some ways in, yeah in yeah, I remember the the mummy. You know the one with the rock in. I just remember how bad the CGI was with yes, the rock. It was pretty there. poor, wasn't it? Yes. But yeah, you know, they they were the olden days to many of our listeners. I'm sure. What some <laughs> twenty three years ago, whatever it was. Yeah, apparently he did a lot of his own stunts in these. You know, in his earlier films and. Um, He's got quite a few injuries and had to have quite a few surgeries, you know, because he did a lot of his own stunts. Are we talking Fraser or The Rock now? Fraser, Fraser yeah. I say. Yeah, I can't imagine The Rock doing his own stunts these days. It's getting on a bit. He's got, I was gonna, he's got to be pretty mobile, though, because my understanding is, isn't he come back to wrestling? So he's obviously got to be fairly he is mobile. back on TV, active. but um, not engaged in much physicality as yet, but... Uh, Ah, oh, right. Okay. Um, yeah, there's uh, there's a story to be told over the next couple of months. I would say with uh, with the Rock and his family. Um, we'll see how it plays out. But uh, other other stars included Sadie Sink, who played Charlie's daughter in this film. Now, those of you who know the name Sadie Sink will probably know her as Max in Stranger Things, which is certainly where I recognised her from. And she's also appeared in films including Fear Street Part Two and Three. Um, someone else in the film is Hong Chow, known for a few films including Downsizing and The Menu, the latter of which was released the same year as The Whale, as I said a few minutes ago. Uh, Chow can also be seen in the Netflix show The Night Agent and TV shows such as Homecoming and Watchmen. 
That's that's interesting, Andrew, because the menu is a good film um, to watch. Now, when myself and my wife watched The Whale, we recognised it and we couldn't place where she was from. And then once I, I Googled it and saw that she's from the menu, it's like, oh, yeah, I remember from the menu. But The Night Agent, I don't know if you watched The Night Agent on Netflix. It's a really good show. Uh, no, I'm not familiar with it. Yeah, it, it is a good one. And she's in that, but she has really, like, silver hair. So she looks really different compared to this role. Um, and Homecoming, I... So that's the one with Julia Roberts and it's on... Oh, it used to be on Amazon Prime. I listened to the... That's based on a podcast series. And I've listened to the podcast series. And I couldn't get into the TV one. So I think I already made it through uh, one, two, three episodes at most. But I listened to all the podcast series and it was really, really good, the homecoming. Now, I digress again, so let's get back to the film. Now, this one, Andy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention this and I just want to get your thoughts on it. So the film is presented in 4.3 ratio and the director did this to emphasise Charlie's presence and weight but, and also to create this kind of confined atmosphere as well to mirror Charlie's appointment. Now, when it came on and it was in 4.3... I thought I had my control, my TV set up wrong. So I don't know how your TV is, but one of my TVs, it constantly loses a setting. So my kid always, you know, my kids always call me in and say, Dad, I, you know, I need to do that. So I changed the setting to just scan. Now, when it came on, I thought it was playing up again. So I went to the setting and saw it was on just scan. I thought, oh. And then I Googled it and it was like, oh, yes, he shot it in 4.3. So I don't know if you had like a similar thought process or not. I thought it was weird. Uh, I didn't do anything to change it. I just carried on watching. But that sort of thing really annoys me. Like in this day and age, surely ratios should be a standard thing. So whatever you film it in is what you can watch it in. You shouldn't have this messing about. Um, especially with like the big widescreen TVs. You know, you know, TVs are bigger and bigger these days. And when you're missing you know, a quarter of the screen because of how they filmed it. You think, uh, you know, wasting my money here. So directors, the world over, need to sort this out. So Andy, I know you're only about three years younger than me, but do you remember TV programmes that were in this setting, you know, before widescreen? I mean, I don't, I didn't specifically look out for the, for the different ratios, but I do remember having very, very square TVs. In fact, the, the monitor I use for this podcast is actually an old TV. And so I'm, the, what I'm looking at as my notes is a very old-looking TV screen. Because um, I think I mentioned it a few weeks ago. I don't know if I mentioned it when we were recording our affair. I'm re-watching all the Only Fools and Horses TV show, and that's on 4.3. You, you notice it in yeah, like the old sitcoms and stuff, yeah. But obviously that's, that's what they were at the time. So that I can understand, but uh, you know, this is two years old. Yes, indeed. Now... Fraser spent four hours a day being fitted with prosthetics that weighed up to 300 pounds. So in kilograms, that's 136 kilograms. And I thought that was really interesting because Brandon Fraser has been off our screen um, for quite a few years. I was aware that he had put on weight, but I didn't know how much weight he put on. So, you know, when we were watching this, I wasn't sure how much of it was genuine because I know that he had put on a lot of weight. And I also saw when he won um, his Oscar, he, he was quite biggish. Obviously, nowhere near this big, but that—that's a lot of extra weight to be carrying around. That's that's like a workout, isn't it? That's um, that's an obscene amount to be carrying around. Um, 
Now, in terms of accolades, and quite appropriate that you know we're in we're in the midst of awards season, so let's talk awards. Uh, the whale received a range of nominations and awards across uh, various different categories and ceremonies, including Best Actor for Brendan Fraser at the Academy Awards, which he won. Actually, the first Canadian to win the Academy Award for Best Actor. So there's a little factoid for you there. And Hong Chao was nominated for Best Supporting Actress for several awards, including the Academy Award. Although she didn't win this year and I, that year, and I can't remember who did, but uh, she was certainly nominated many, many times. So, let's get into the film proper, shall we? So we open up with somebody being dropped off by a bus, um, in the middle of nowhere it seemed, a very strange place to have a bus stop. And then we cut to uh, an online course, or meeting, and there's an instructor in the middle of the screen, and he's got his camera off, so everyone's visible apart from the instructor. I, being the child that I am, wrote down in my notebook, camera off, probably wanking. Cut to the next scene, we see the main character uh, watching some uh, adult television of sorts. Uh, he's watching gay porn, that's what he's watching, and he's always wanking. So I was I was right. So and then I wrote, oh, he is wanking, but uh, he's, he's having a good time, let's say. Yeah, he is having a good time, Andy, but now... I I don't know what you're like, Andy, but I have a lot of virtual meetings. And now you kind of put that seed in my head every time. Because there's, there's some people I, work, <laughs> I liaise with virtually that always have the camera off now. And you've got me thinking, is, is that why? Because I, you know, I don't know if you have virtual meetings, Andy. I do, but I'm one of those people that will always have the camera on. And now it, I'm starting to doubt things wondering if if something else is happening now yeah you never can tell i as a general rule i'll have my camera on the only time i wouldn't is if it's like a large meeting where there's uh someone presenting and because it can mess with the bandwidth um so uh but uh yeah i i will be <laughs> more vigilant <laughs> of my uh my colleagues if they've got their camera off i won't ask them directly but i will i will assume and maybe spread the rumor that they are yeah, so Andy, I don't know if you use Teams or use a, a different type of application, but some of the national um, webinars I go on have like, you know, 500 people on. Now, I didn't realize this until it happened uh, a few months ago, but if someone's presenting, you have the, uh, well, I wonder if it's how it's set up, but the audience do have the possibility of muting the, the the person speaking so I was on this webinar and someone kept muting the main speaker and they had to say you know you, you've got the I don't think they could tell who it was but they, they had to do a few announcements to say like someone can you stop muting when I'm talking because they were doing a presentation but every, you could see they were talking then it went mute but they're carrying on talking and there's someone else like a co-presenter to come on and say oh Charlie you're mute and then finish, and they said it's like when you're on there, you you do have that option where you can mute instead of just muting yourself, you can kind of mute everyone. I didn't know that. I, I've seen it when like the main presenter has that option. I didn't realize it was open to everyone. Well, yeah, I don't know. It's how they set it up, but yeah, it's happened. You know, uh, I might times. might try that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> practice meetings, it. Yeah. yeah, if I'm if I'm particularly bored of anyone. <laughs> so. I digress again. I'm digressing a lot. Sorry, Andy. Now, 
Charlie gets a visitor and he doesn't want to go to the hospital. He, he's talking about um, financial implications. He doesn't want to go to the hospital. And you, being a, a Brit, you see a, a lot of this kind of stuff on social media about Americans and their their insurance and um, Medicare or whatever the, the thing's called. So you can kind of relate to that particular bit. I, I don't know if you've seen it, but I've seen it on social media before where someone is about to be taken in an ambulance in America and they run away because they can't afford all the bills that come with that. Yeah, it's crazy to me. Thank goodness for the NHS. That's what I was saying. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Now, he does have a fondness for the book Moby Dick and... Moby Dick is one of those books, I don't know if you're a big reader, Andy. Years and years ago, I, I purchased a few books that are deemed kind of the classics. And I did read some of them, and some of them are good, some of them you think, oh yeah, that, you know, it is a classic, things like the Dracula, um, Dracula even, Frankenstein. You know, there, there are some good ones. And then there's other ones that you think, I don't see what the fuss is. But Moby Dick, I never got around to actually reading. I've I've not read many of the... Um... I guess quote unquote classics. Um, so Moby Dick's certainly one that I've not read. Um, yeah, I still don't read. Readings, readings a bit hit and miss for me. I would say there's a few there's a few things I've I've read over the years, but these days it's just difficult to find time. I I agree, Andy. And in terms of reading, Andy, sorry before you know before you carry on. I I was cleaning um, some of the living room today, and. <laughs> This is this is typical me. I just I just jump into things. So I watched the first season of The Reacher on Amazon. So I don't know if you watched that, and it's based on um, a book series by Lee Child. Now I thought, oh, I really enjoyed that, and I know there's, there's load of books. So I, I thought I'm going to have a look and buy the books from Amazon. Obviously, just buy the first few. However. I went onto Facebook Marketplace and someone was selling like over 20 books of the Reacher series. So I thought, oh, I'm going to buy those. So I went and it was only down the road, about 10 minutes away. And I bought all like 20 plus books of the Reacher um, series. And um, that was before Christmas and I'm still on book one. And I mentioned that because <laughs> all the books are sat in there like a... Um, one of those bag for life but you know bag for life um that you get from like the supermarkets and in my it's in my living room and my wife was like moaning when she was um, doing some cleaning because i got them all in there i said i know i need to read and i've got load of books i need i've got all those and then some books from charity shops and some bond books and stuff but like you it's it's like when you're not working and you're not dealing like you know with the family and doing errands and like podcasting there's only a small window when you can just actually relax. And sometimes I just want to kind of like either listen to music. And I did try to listen to an audio, a few different audio books recently because on, on Spotify Premium, you can get audio books now. Not everything, but you can get a lot of them. And I struggle. I can't listen to audio books. I find reading is better than listening to audio books. Yeah, I agree. I'd, I've never really attempted the audio book thing. I, I may have mentioned it on a previous episode. I don't like being read to. And I guess that's what ultimately what an audiobook is. Um, like even even my wife when she's like reading, like, oh, can you send check this email or whatever? And she'll start reading to me like, no, let me have a look because otherwise it's just not going to go in. Um, but podcast is different because that's being spoken to, and I listen to a lot of podcasts, which so it's a, it's a bit strange. But if I, if I know if I know they're reading, I'm not paying attention. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, well, speaking of reading, uh, getting back to the film, um, Charlie's reading, or he has the the an essay about Moby Dick read to him. So the, this fondness for Moby Dick, and then this essay, and it seems to calm him down because he's you know obviously in quite a uh, distressed situation if hospital is beckoning sort of thing. But this seems to calm him down. And I thought that was a bit weird. It is very weird, very very weird. Now. You do see him doing some research about his medical conditions and this is this happens throughout the film and I just found this really difficult to watch sometimes because he was I can't remember, I think it was two particular there was a bit about blood pressure, because I have high blood pressure, and then there was another bit that he researched and I can't remember if it was like the heart or something else. Oh, it was uh, congenital heart failure, wasn't it? Yeah, and then he just starts eating, I think it was some chocolate bars or something, but not just having one, he was just having multiple ones. I just found it really difficult to watch um, a lot of this film, to be honest. Yeah, we'll we'll obviously get into that as we go on, but I, I completely agree. Um, now his friend and a nurse, I think she's a nurse, Liz, um, is, in, is here, and she's clearly not happy about the situation. She's, she's quite upset with him um, and the state that he's in. And this this visitor, this mystery visitor, is there, and he's talking a lot of religious stuff, and she's very annoyed by that as well. And I think that that will play out as the film goes on. But at this stage, she's obviously just uh, apoplectic. Is that the right word? I've used a big word there. I don't even know if it's the right <laughs> one, but it sounds good. So I want to I want to keep it in. But she's you know she's very concerned about the situation. It's like she's at a wit's end. Um, but then she just hands him a massive bucket of chicken. I'm like, yeah, that's going to help with his heart condition, isn't it? I know. It's, and it's not the first time. Well, it's it's the first time in this film, but it's not the first time. It's not the last time we're going to see her feeding um, Charlie with some greasy food and unhealthy food. No salads around um, in this not, film. Not a, not a lettuce leaf in sight. No. No. Now, a little bit later on, his, his daughter turns up. And... That you can really tell that the relationship is not a great one between Charlie and his daughter. Now, he even offers to give um, all his money to his daughter as well, and she, she's yeah, she's she's not a really nice person. She's not really likable at all um, throughout this film, really. No, she's she's got issues, to say the least. I, I wrote, and this is a little bit tongue in cheek, but uh, I wrote, I can see why he walked out on her. <laughs> now he he does promise to his friend Liz that he won't have his daughter over again now kind of like what I just mentioned a, a few minutes ago about Liz feeding him he does then nearly choke to death on his baguette and I can't remember what type of baguette it was um, but it was a, a big baguette and it was like the stuff that you get in a takeaway like um like a street food place because it's like wrapped in foil and he is saved um by his friend liz manages to save um you know charlie and then the advert started on prime now andy this is i think this is the first time uh, we've watched a film on prime where the adverts were within the film and I didn't realise they were doing that. I thought they were doing adverts only at the beginning. So it did kind of ruin the flow. I don't think they were long. I believe there were two adverts. Um, but it was a, a bit annoying 
But then I thought, I'm not paying an extra £2.99 a month or whatever it is to take them out. Oh, it really wound me up, this did. So it came, the message came on when I logged into Prime saying, you know, do you want to go ad-free for an extra two ninety nine a month? I thought, no, I'm not doing that. And then when the film started, there was a couple of ads that you couldn't skip through. So to start, there was a couple of ads. There's only one ad for me at this point, but it was at the same point in the film. Um, and I'm not sure if you remember what ads you saw, but the ad that I saw was for Just Eat. <laughs> and I thought that was, that was genius marketing in, in some regards. But, uh, yeah. I, I don't recall the, the adverts that I had. I just remember just being a, just being a bit grumpy about it. But no, Just Eat, yeah, like you said, that is... Um, I wonder if it's intentional, because I, I can't remember what they, they were. I mean, if it's intentional, it's it's somewhat genius. Although this this film did make me think I'm not particularly hungry right now. You know, normally, I, you know, I like to sit with snacks as I'm watching a film. I didn't didn't feel like eating for this one for some reason. But uh, but anyway, as as the film continues after the adverts, um, Charlie finds an old photo of himself, uh, looking uh, slightly slimmer than he is these days. His daughter's round again, and uh, she gets him to check her homework and actually re- she wants him to rewrite her work rather than do it herself yeah she she comes around and she talks about homework uh, a few times throughout the film and she, yeah like i said she's 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 just not likable or now she is quizzing him she's doing a lot of probing about his old boyfriend as well who died and we find out that is the reason why i put on so much weight as well because he's is essentially you find out that he left his ex-wife and his daughter for this this boy um, because she even says that it was an ex-student of his and then, you know, he, he later dies as well and he, he, he then starts um, eating food. Now, I made a note here and just said his daughter is a moody sod because she is, she, she, just throughout the film, she's she's very, very moody not likable in the slightest as well now we do see him talking to the missionary again and they they're having a little heart to heart because obviously we saw him at the beginning when a missionary came when he was watching these his film and he comes back if i was um a kind of a door-to-door salesman which i know he's not necessarily because he's a missionary that would put me right off and knocking in that ass again if that happened to me but he he does get the missionary to pick up the key that he dropped a bit earlier on um, because obviously he can't get down um, to pick it up. And then he, he uses that, I think, later on to open the, the room. I can't remember if it's him. Yeah, yeah, it is him, isn't it, that opens the room? I think, he, I think he opens the door straight away, but then Charlie kind of motions him out or shuts the door so he can't go in, so you don't actually see the inside of the room. And it's... it's um. It's a good scene, this. Um, you're right about the door-to-door salesman. I guess you could say he's a salesman. He's selling the word of Jesus Christ. So, uh, you know, salesman of sorts. But um, initially, the, the missionary, he assumes that Charlie wants something else from him, doesn't he? And he thinks he's coming on to him. <laughs> and then he's like, no, 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 that's not that at all. I just need your help with something. Um, and it's because he can't bend to pick the key up. Now, Liz returns, Um church boy is scared he wants to go but um as much as he's scared off she makes him stay um and she's brought charlie a wheelchair or as she as she calls it she's brought him a fat guy wheelchair that was a direct quote and then he starts backing into the chair and 
Liz is making beeping sounds like a, a reversing lorry, which I think is a little bit harsh. It's a type of banter that you can have with in a friendship, isn't it? I don't think if that was, you know, because we said she's a nurse, I don't think she could get away with doing that at work. But I think, you know, because we... Yeah, I don't, you wouldn't do it to a stranger. No, no. And at this point, you don't know their relationship, do you? I think you just know the friends. It's later on, it's the the reveal, isn't it, with these two? Yeah, exactly. There's definitely a friendship there, but there's there's not much of a backstory at, at this point in the film. Yeah. Well, actually, it brings us nicely on to the next, my next comment, Andy, actually. And Liz and the church boy was my, my name, because I can't remember his name. Do you remember his name? Because I just referenced him as the church boy. Um, I'm not sure if his name was known at this stage, but uh, we find out at some point that his name's Thomas. Thomas, yes. So, but I don't. Th- I think that's later on. Okay. So, when he's speaking with Ellie, that that's when we hear his name for the first time. Okay, so it's still valid to call him the Church Boy slash Missionary. I think at this point, now, yeah, member of the God Squad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we, you know, Liz and the Church Boy are chatting outside. And she shares a story about her brother as well. And this is where you find out that um, it was her brother um, and what happened to him as well. And it is a really sad story, actually. And it's it's really good because the score throughout this film is, it is really haunting, actually. And after the film had finished, Andy, I, I listened to some of the soundtrack. And I listened to some of the songs that I, I thought was... Um, the better ones throughout the film and I just found myself getting really depressed so I've not added any of those to my music I might have added one actually to my music um, cinematic playlist but I, I didn't add more than one because it is really it's really well done though it really fits the, the film I agree it fits the film perfectly but it is quite a depressing film so therefore it's quite a depressing score <laughs> don't put it on in the car if you're driving uh, late at night or whatever it's uh, not a good idea um, but Back in the film, Charlie uh, reads what Ellie has written. So um, when Ellie came round, he basically gave her a notebook and said, you know, write something for me, um, which he thought was stupid. But uh, after she leaves, he finds he finds the notebook and he looks in and she's just written three lines. She's re- written, this apartment smells, this notebook is retarded, I hate everyone. Now, did, did you pick up straight away what that was that she'd written? No. So I picked it up straight away, and it's you know when he reads it back and you see the smile on his face, even though you know those are, those are harsh words that she's written, he's really proud because she's wrote poetry. That's a haiku, and I picked up straight away that she'd written a haiku. So as much as I think earlier she even mentioned she hates poetry and you know her essay, I think was linked to poetry somehow. So she hates, but you know she's written a haiku, so uh, so good for her. Um, and then she's back later on. And, you know, with the backstory that here, you know, the, some of the gaps are starting to be filled in, starting to feel a little bit sorry for her at this point. As much as she's got issues and, you know, she's causing a bit of trouble and she's not exactly been nice to him, I'm feeling a bit sorry for her at this point. Sorry, Andy, I was just Googling what a haiku poetry poem is because I'd never heard of that before and I could see never what it is. Haiku. No, I don't like poetry at all, though. It's like... Um... English at school, I just really struggled with, and poetry is just like I, I just can't, I can't deal with poetry at all. I you used know, to. You know, I, I am, I am technically a published poet. Right, oh, really. As, as a, as a child, as part of like a school assignment thing, we had to write some poetry, and it was published. You know, we had 
kids, some of the kids, including mine, that were published and then sold to, like, the parents, and it was put in the local library for a bit. No idea where this where this book is. I'm sure, like, my dad or my sister probably has a copy of it somewhere, or someone must have bought a copy. But, yeah, I, um, I, I was published. This is, you know, best part of 30 years ago now. But, but yeah, I can say I am a, I am a published poet, technically. And you should. You know where um, academics list their like bibliography and they like they put down their papers that's what you should do if you ever do kind of like any of your reports that you might do i know it's not related but i think you should reference it like did it did a page something, i should yeah and then, if yeah. i if i can re- <laughs> the thing is i don't remember the book i don't remember <laughs> the poem i don't remember when i did it but i know it definitely happened either that or i've had a really weird fever dream at some point <laughs> Yeah, so I learned something new there. Every day is a school day about poetry and haiku. So, nice one. So that that obviously just went straight over my head, Andy. So thank you for um, pointing that out. Now, his daughter does... Now, this is... Oh, I just didn't like her at all for, throughout this film. And so Charlie's daughter drugs um, her dad and he falls asleep as well. And then the church boy arrives and they start talking. So she she set this up nicely. Yeah, I don't feel sorry for her anymore. Very, my feelings on her very quickly changed. She basically forces Thomas to smoke pot, even though he's just told her, you know, I had a bit of a problem with pot when I was younger. So he's he's basically forced, and she teases him about not being attractive, and she basically threatens to tell people that he rapes her if he doesn't do as he's told. So he's he's absolutely petrified because she's spreading you know she's threatening to spread all these lies and rumors and she's just being absolutely vile at this point yeah she she's not a nice person at all a very different to her character in stranger things <laughs> so this is the first thing i've seen her out of stranger things i never watched that fear street that you mentioned earlier on my wife watched um i think it's a trilogy my wife watched them all but i don't like horror films so i didn't bother watching them so it turns out that Thomas isn't from the new life that he claimed to be. And he, so he, he then opens up, you know, he, he's under the influence of drugs and he opens up to the, the daughter that he's um, stolen some money. And she's just like, like Andy said there, she, yeah, she's not being nice to Thomas at all. And like I made the note here just to say how very annoying she is. And I, this is a difficult film to watch, Andy, but her in this film as well just made me like want to turn off. And it's, I think this is, if I think about all the films we've covered in the podcast, and I think we've done around 80 episodes now, this is the film that I thought I wish I wasn't watching. It's, it really, you know, it was a, a difficult subject matter, but even her, I just found her really great in as well. We meet Charlie's ex-wife, so she turns up um, with Liz. Yes, ex-wife played by Samantha Morton. Mary, her name is, and uh, talk very quickly turns to money. Now, earlier on, obviously, Charlie had offered Ellie. He said, I'll give you all my money. Um, Liz didn't know about this money, though. She had no idea just how well-off Charlie is. I think she'd even mentioned that she had some car trouble not that long ago. And obviously, she's been mentioning about going to hospital because of his condition. Um, but he's got, is it something in the region of $120,000? Yeah, it's over 100 k I, I recall, yeah. Yeah, so Liz, Liz doesn't, 
I don't get the impression that Liz is after him for his money or is friends with him because of his money, but she's clearly had some tough times and he's not he's refused to help, even though he quite easily could have done. Yeah, and he, he does mention, I can't remember if he mentions at the beginning or if it's now, that essentially he doesn't leave his apartment and he doesn't do anything else. So apart from spending his money on probably rent and food, like the pizzas he gets delivered, he doesn't really... Yeah, rent, food and internet, I think that's what he yeah. says, doesn't he, pretty much? Yeah. He does have a long conversation with his ex-wife about a range of things as well. And this is the only real time that we see um, his ex-wife, actually. She's mentioned a few times um, throughout, um, uh, you know, earlier in the film. But this is, you know, the first time we really see him talking to each other. And they're, they're talking about a range of things as well. And she, she helps herself to some, I think it's like vodka or some booze or something. Now, a little bit later on... He has some more pizza delivered, and he's usually very careful. He usually watches the the pizza delivery guy walk across the, the like the window and see him walk away. But when he goes to the door this time, for some reason, the pizza delivery guy is kind of like just hanging around at the like the steps to his apartment. So he sees him for the first um, for the first time, and he's really appalled by Charlie's appearance as well. So that's obviously. Um, a bit distressing and saddening really um, for Charlie then he, he sends an email to his online class as well while he's binging, binge eating as well and he's, um, he's not in a good spot at all he's a real downward spiral here yeah that kind of tipped him over the edge and it's another one of those scenes where he's, he's eating to excess I think this time he's, he's eating for, a, for the reaction that the, the pizza delivery guy gave him or the look he gave him about his appearance, so he's kind of like, I want to say comfort eating, but it's beyond that, isn't it? It's beyond comfort eating, but he's, yeah, he's he's not good. And uh, the email he sends to his class is basically telling them to forget their assignments and to write something honest. Now, uh, Thomas is back, um, and he reveals what Ellie has done in terms of um, she... Did she contact the church or his family or something? Um, and basically, he says he's going back home because his family have forgiven him because it's only money after all. Yeah, which is a, a nice point there, Randy, I suppose, for Thomas. And we see Charlie teaching again. Um, but he, he does say he's being fired and he's being replaced. So this is the last time he's going to be doing his online class. Um, well, for these students anyway. And he then turns on his camera so his students can see him for the first time and then based on the reactions because if I recall correctly no one says anything but there are there's there's a well I'll let you jump in Andy actually what what did you think was like the students yeah it was you you kind of see obviously that you see the screen so you see him in the middle and then the various students on the, the small screens around him sort of thing. And you see a mix of kind of shock, some looks of disgust, even some laughter from the students. So it's, um, yeah, it's not it's not a good reaction, is it? No, it, it's not at all. And, um, yeah, it's... I don't know if what your thoughts are, Andy, but I, I'm, I'm not saying, obviously, we relate to this at all. But, you know, because of the pandemic... We've obviously been in the situation before doing like um, online meetings and 
webinars and stuff so you can kind of put yourself in the shoes you know before the pandemic we might have not, I don't recall ever doing any kind of online meetings really or classes so you can kind of put yourself in that situation where someone always has their camera off and then they, they turn it on and you're just going to kind of like focus on that individual aren't you and it is um it is really sad and you do see him actually just throw his laptop at the fridge as well so he he's not in a in a good place at all no he's, he's definitely not um and then ellie comes back and she's angry about the essay that he's written from i think she fails a class um and he tells her to read it and so she reads it out it turns out it was something that she wrote from the eighth grade and it's the moby dick essay from the beginning of the film so now we I guess we know now why he loves Moby Dick so much. And we do. And this is the bit where it, the ending, essentially, and it's, and it's a, an emotional ending, really. Now, the end scene is really left up to the viewer to interpret whether Charlie actually walks or not, because you see him get up, walk to the door, um, his daughter's at the door, you've got a bright light behind, and it kind of then fades. Now, Andy, what is your interpretation there? Do you think he, he did get up? Or do you think he just died on the sofa? What? I, what you? I think he it? got up. I think he got up and died. And that was kind of his last act. Was but that it was too much for him. And then obviously the, the bright light and him levitating into the air. I think is meant to mean that at this point he dies. But it's it is it is a strange, strange, and it is an emotional ending. Yeah, it's a, to a, you know, an emotional ending to quite an emotional film in places. I would say. Yeah, I think I, I agree with you, Andy. I like to think of the kind of like the positives, really, in terms of that ending. And I think that would have been a kind of a nice act to do with his daughter, you know, show that kind of motivation in terms of getting up. Because we're seeing him throughout the film that the few times that he's trying to get up, he's either collapsed or struggled. And, you know, obviously that's why Liz brought the wheelchair around earlier on in the film. Yeah, so that, that kind of brings us to the, the end of the film. Now, before going to the next segment, Jay, I'm just going to throw you a little curveball. Did you feel sorry for Charlie? I do, and I don't feel sorry for him. I don't feel sorry for it is, is, is predicament, really, because it, it is self-inflicted. But I suppose, you know, anyone that has some kind of addiction or, you know, it could be drug, alcohol, gambling, it's obviously sad, and... You know, these people, you know, a lot of them need external help. However, it it was obviously selfish because he left his wife and kid. Um, I think, I think he, I think it's mentioned that he leaves her when she's in the eighth grade as well, I think. I know the eighth grade report. Eight years old. Yeah, eight 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 years old. So obviously that's not a good thing to do. And obviously then, I don't know how long he was with the boyfriend, before what happened happens so that's obviously very sad and then he's just kind of slumped and given up on life hasn't he so the the way he's acting it is very selfish as well so and you know we're going to talk about our ratings in a minute but i i just found the film really challenging to watch and even though charlie is going through the difficulties i personally don't think he's very likable either so it was um you know i wasn't necessarily like rooting for him you know like a lot of films you watch and you want like the main character even that if he's a 
a villain or like a kind of like an anti-hero you're rooting for so um it's yeah that's that's where i kind of sat really what about you andy yeah same yeah the reason i ask it is i've you know at one point i was starting to feel sorry for ellie but then she just takes things way too far i think nah nah screw her you know she's she's terrible (laughs) but then he's done a lot to mess her up you know leaving not being in contact sounds like you know he's he's not even really made much of an attempt it's out you know from from what i gathered he basically phones her mum once a month to check in on her um and his justification is oh well he was in love you know that's like that's not that's not good enough um i there's there's bits where i can relate in terms of like the you know when well like when the delivery man looks at him and shows him that you know shows him that world shoots him that look of disgust and similarly with the students you know to have someone think that of you regardless of what your appearance is or what your weight is or anything that's that's got to be hurtful and you know i can i can relate to that from a confidence point of view and how it can shatter your confidence but yeah there was just he wasn't he wasn't the hero of the piece i wasn't necessarily rooting for a happy ending as it were yeah and like you said you know where he said he's, he's phoning his ex-wife up once a month and finding about his daughter now you know that is you know that's not great at, at all but you kind of then do you think that's because he he doesn't value himself at all and he he i don't know he just doesn't want to expose himself or he kind of just thinks i don't need to be like in my daughter's life because i'm not going to bring anything positive to that and that's why he just keeps the the distance and at the back of his mind he you know he's thinking he can probably not necessarily make it okay but if he can just die then pass over the money to her then at least he's done something for her even though he's not being around these whatever age she is yeah he's he's looking for the easy way out i think it's um it's a a bit of a cop-out but yeah i just thought i'd I'd throw that because that probably leads into our thoughts on on ratings um and may may lead us one way or another in terms of what we think of it so based on on all of what we've spoken about there what does that do to your rating out of 10 despite the commendable performances from the cast so not you know brendan fraser in particular was obviously really really good and you mentioned earlier on he won an, an academy award for it but there was obviously strong cast as well from sadie sink and um chow um as well but for me it was just so you know you had your haunting soundtrack it was everything was i don't know it was i don't know what the filter was but it was just always dark it was just bleak all the time it, i found it very emotionally taxing as well and like i said sometimes it was just so challenging for me to watch and i know it's probably a subject matter that you can't enjoy but you watch a film to enjoy it, even if you know it's not a film that's going to light, you know, all sunny and everything. You do want some enjoyment out of the film. And I, I just really struggled. And like I said earlier, I think out of the all the films we've watched in season one and season two, this is the one that I thought, if we weren't doing a podcast on, I probably would have turned it off. And I just carried on doing it. So, therefore, in terms of my rating, it, it's just in the middle, really. Um to so 5 out of 10 and I would have to look through my scores to see if that's the lowest one I've ever done because I 
it might be joint. I would have to have a look in my bond um, seasons. Um, I can't remember going lower than five, but it is definitely one of the lowest, if not the joint lowest one. I don't remember anything below a five from you either, to be honest. So uh, this could this could be a new low for you. Yeah, it could be a new low. And um, obviously I've given my score, Andy, uh, very, um, I won't say average at all, very, for me, it was a, a difficult watch. What about you, Andy? Did you find it challenging as well? And um, what was your score out of 10? I... I didn't find the film enjoyable because of the subject matter, but I thought the performances were excellent. Um, I would say it's a very good film um, for what it is. It's not one of those where you know if you just want to want to laugh of an evening just to take your mind off things. It's not. It's not one of those kind of films. It's one of those where you kind of you have to study it a little bit and you know just appreciate it. You don't enjoy it, you appreciate it. I think. Um, in you know, if I think back to Philadelphia, that's not an enjoyable film because of the subject matter. However, the performances were just out of this world, and it was one of those where it really got you in the gut. You know, it was really emotional. This didn't quite strike that same chord because I just couldn't find myself feeling completely sorry for him. So even in some of the struggling scenes, it was yeah, it was emotional, but it wasn't wasn't tear jerking. I think Fraser in particular, fantastic. You know, very, very commendable in the role and definitely deserving of the Oscar. But um, it's not going to be an all-time classic for me. But a very good film nonetheless. So I've gone 7 out of 10, which I think is, is pretty generous. It was, it was like I said, it was good. But, uh, yeah, uh, tough, tough to watch. It's one of those where, because it's based on a play, I think it works better as a play than a film potentially although i've not seen the play itself if the play is like the film as in you know scene for scene i think it would be a top of the range play but it's it's kind of it's a it's a good film but it probably makes a great play that's five out of ten for me seven out of ten for andy so what do the good folks at imdb think 7.7 out of ten so higher score than both myself and andy but only slightly higher than andy yeah rotten tomatoes is a bit of a mixed bag 64% 64% on the tomatometer, but a 91% audience score. So that's um, two ends of the scale, pretty much. But uh, let's let's wrap things up with a nice neat bow in our main event segment, you could say, the Rank Bank. So, Jay, as always, why don't you kick us off with some runtimes? So in terms of the runtimes... The Whale was a, a very, you know, it was a difficult long watch as well, actually. And I must admit, this felt, when watching this film, it felt every minute of this one time. So The Whale was one hour and 57 minutes. Now, in terms of the seven films we've watched so far in season three, The Mitch Tape, it is the third longest. So we got Interstellar, Die Hard, The Whale... Layer Cake, No Hard Feelings, The Hangover, and Elf. So Andy, do you want to pick up the box office? Yeah, so as Jay mentioned earlier, the budget for this was $3 million, which is the lowest budget we've had so far this season. Worldwide box office of over $40 million um, is very respectable for such a budget and puts it in sixth place out of seven. Um, But we rank on the adjusted box office, which is just over $43 million. So again, sixth out of seven so far. So 
Uh, layer Cake is the only one beneath it, and it's just behind No Hard Feelings in fifth place. But the bottom three and the top four, there is a gulf between them. So um, very profitable film, but um, $43 million is way, way down on Interstellar, which still tops the charts at a whopping $841 million. So Andy just mentioned The Whale and Layer Cake. So we rank these films now by genre. So Layer Cake and The Whale are part of our drama and thriller ratings and rankings. So a, a quick recap, Layer Cake, a few weeks ago, I gave 8 out of 10. And The Whale, as I've just mentioned, 5 out of 10. So a very clear 1 and 2 for me. Andy? A less clear picture for me, because I get both films 7 out of 10. But we don't have joint positions, as we've mentioned many, many times. Uh, for that reason, I've got The Whale in second place, just behind Layer Cake. I think the performance is what t- brings it up in terms of the score. But Layer Cake was an all-round slightly better film, and certainly if I had to choose between the two which one I'm going to watch, it's going to be Layer Cake. Um, but respectable nonetheless, but still second of two so far. And that brings us to the end of another episode of The Rating Room. You might call it an award-winning episode of The Rating Room in our award season. We've not won any awards yet, but we could certainly be nominated, shouldn't we? Yeah, as long as it's not a a Razzie nomination, Andy. So you can send us, as always, you can send us any questions, suggestions, feedback that you might want to share um, with us. You can do that via our social media channels or by reaching out to us at theratingroom at gmail.com. As always, get to our website, theratingroom.com. You can find all kinds of information on there, past episodes, show notes, lots and lots of information to digest. And also our YouTube channel where you can find full episodes, previous episodes, clips, short short content, a whole range of things. And that is at The Rating Room. And also we're on all these social media channels as well. So you can search for us, The Rating Room. And make sure you do subscribe to all our channels to stay up to date with the latest news. So award season is in full swing and another award winning film we're going to bring you next week. And we're going to see if blondes do have more fun, as they say, because we're going to be touching on the Netflix film based on the life and times of Marilyn Monroe. And that is Blonde. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next week.